searching for Canada's best startups. The Pitch Please Podcast. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Give us your best pitch. Pitch please. Three, two, one. Connecting with Canada's startups to learn about their business and the amazing people behind them. Follow along and hear some of the most interesting ideas in startups from across Canada. What's up, everybody? This is Mike back with the Pitch Please podcast. Today, we're talking to Jess and Bryn from Double. Welcome to the show, Jess and Bryn. Maybe we can start with a quick introduction about each of you. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. We're really excited to be here. Quick intro. Yeah, my name is Jess and Bryn and I met in our third year of university and we incorporated Double three years ago and are quickly scaling up to launch. And I'm Bryn, I'm the other half of Double. A bit about our backgrounds, I guess. So Jess's background is in fashion, merchandising and buying. So she comes from some pretty cool companies like Essence, MEC and Herschel. And then I've built my career in marketing at Unilever. So CPG world. Cool. So we've got a bit of background in retail and CPG and then also in marketing. Now let's maybe start at the beginning. So you both met, you said in university, um, you're both Canadian, but it sounds like when we we're talking before, you didn't actually meet in Canada, did you? Or you did meet in Canada? We did meet. Yeah, we did meet in Canada. We met at university at Ivy. However, we grew our friendship on a trip to New York where we went to a female conference at Yale, which was really fun. And we were able to kind of get out of the classroom and ID and become closer friends that way. Cool. I So I totally misinterpreted London. I thought you guys met in like London, England. So it's cool. Glad we sorted that out really early. Otherwise, I would have been asking you about the time change or something else. It's the less cool London, unfortunately. Now, I want to learn a bit more about each of you. So maybe we just start with Jess. Tell us a little bit about maybe what you went to school for and what sort of brought you into that space. Like, was that what you went to school for? Have you always been interested in like fashion and retail? Um, maybe let's start with that. And then, Brynn, I'd love to learn the same about your kind of marketing background. Yeah, I've always had a really deep interest in fashion and aesthetic and design in that entire world. It's always like spoken to me. So when I was in high school, I wanted to be a fashion designer. So I was taking a bunch of sewing classes and design courses and art. And then as I was spending my days sewing and, you know, you don't learn a lot in high school about all the different career opportunities. So I was under the impression that in order to be a fashion designer, you were sewing 24-7 and that would be your job, which I now know isn't true. But it's what I thought at the time. And I, after doing it for a couple of years, I realized I wanted to be a little bit more on the academic side and I didn't want to do a hands-on job 24-7. So that's what led me to business. And then I found out about buying in my, I think my last year of university, actually, we had this conference that Ivy does each year called the Fashion Retail Conference. And one of the senior buyers from Essence came to speak and I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. And yeah, so the only jobs I applied for throughout Ivy we're in the fashion space. I did a lot of networking and then I got my foot in the door at Essence, which was such an incredible opportunity. I had the I had the opportunity to go to New York and Paris Fashion Week four times a year throughout the beginning few years of my career, which was really incredible. And it really set the stage for me understanding like high level trends and how that kind of translates to the mass market and um, really just gain an appreciation for for design and 
fashion. I am now in Vancouver and I've worked with MEC and now at Herschel. So a little bit more in that vertical, vertically integrated space where I'm helping define the assortments and bringing them to life. That's super cool. Do you still sew? Um, not really. I still have a sewing machine, but I haven't touched it in a while. That's so old news now, I guess. <laughs> it's really a Those bit really of a lost job. art because the fashion industry, especially with fast fashion, sewing your own items, unless you're doing like very high quality work with really high quality fabrics, it's much more expensive actually and time consuming to do your own manufacturing. But yeah, I feel like we've actually struck a really nice balance in that theme with double. But yeah, I haven't done anything for myself in a bit. I'm excited to learn. So you're not sewing everything that we haven't even told people what double is, but theoretically there's going to be some aspect of sewing. And so you're not sewing this all yourself. No, it has been a thought that we've had that we could we could take it all in-house, the two of us, but I'm glad we, we didn't go that route. Okay, we'll find out why. Brent, how about yourself? So marketing by background, is that sort of where you started? And you know, you were saying CPG, very different, obviously, in the fashion industry. And what kind of led you there? Yeah, so I actually opposite to Jess in my grade 10 career class, we got to see uh, or hear from some pretty interesting people. And one of them was a product manager for this toy that was sold in Urban Outfitters. Similar to Jess, when you're that age, you don't understand the jobs that exist in the world. And I thought that was so cool that you could take an idea and bring it into market and then people would buy it. And I was taking a psychology course at the time that I really loved and found, you know, that Ivy Business School had this dual degree program where you could take you could get two degrees in five years. At age 15, I charted out the next 10 years <laughs> and ended up doing that. So I, I did psychology through Western and then a business degree through Ivy. And that was a natural marriage of two things for marketing. I have a lot of sustainability interests. And so for me, when I was applying to jobs, as a marketer, especially, right, you're driving consumption. And so it was important to me that I found a company that had values that aligned with consumption in a way that was somewhat environmentally friendly and good for people as well. So Unilever was an obvious fit for me. Um, met them through the IV Marketing Summit. So similar to Jess, those, those school networking events really do help. And then it's been a great training ground. We always say that brand management is like being a CEO of a company. You know, you get to touch all aspects of the business and you have that full end-to-end -end understanding and the strategic mindset. So yeah, I've spent my whole career there and I'm very lucky to have had that. That's super cool. Now, did either of you during those experiences, because I didn't pick it up naturally, but were either of you ever thinking you would be entrepreneurs, you would start your own business? It sounds like you had things that you wanted to go do, but did you ever think you were going to go do them for yourself in some way? I think so. Bryn and I came up with the initial concept of Double in our last year of university. And ever since then, we had the intention of launching the brand. It was just a little bit of first going into the corporate world, gaining some experience. And I think we did learn a lot of valuable lessons when it came to management and work ethic and just understanding those industries. We have a very complementary skill set within fashion and marketing and how that's really helped bring the brand to life from both a product standpoint and a brand speak perspective. So I think that those experiences were really valuable. And yeah, I think we always knew it was going to happen. It's just a matter of when. That's cool. Now, did you know that was going to happen at that tail end of university or like when you were thinking career choices? 
before even entering university was like entrepreneurship a thing did you have entrepreneur role models or did that kind of evolve and and that spark did that sort of happen through school or was the idea of double the actual spark both of our dads are entrepreneurs neither of them went to business school they both have have specific skill sets that they then turned into jobs so i feel like there's a bit of that in our blood and then i think we both wanted to get some experience like corporate training grounds kind of experience but you know we're both really creative people and have a big drive to make an impact and so I think it was probably always a natural next step eventually but I don't think either of us really thought of that as a potential for immediately after school got it and so you met at a networking event but you really became friends on this trip to New York we met in class in class, yeah. in class, sorry. So you met in class, you went on a trip to New York. That's where you sort of became closer friends. Is that in any way, shape or form related to how Double was born around that trip to New York? Or is that just a moment of kind of building your friendship and, and learning more about each other? I think I think you could try to build some parallels there because the trip was to a women's leadership conference and Double is all, all about empowering women to be themselves and the best versions of themselves. And so I think you could draw parallels there between what we were passionate about and what we built. So you came back. Maybe let's start with the name Double. We haven't talked about what you are both up to yet or what Double does. So without giving all of it away, is there like a story around how you got to the name Double? Was it like whiteboarding session? Did you get someone to make this name up for you? Was it instantly something you knew? How did that sort of uh, evolve? And then we'll start to talk about what Double does and even how you got there. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely an evolution. So the first version of the name was Elia and Co. And the idea there, I think, was a combination of, we tried to make it quite feminine. So like a bit of the Tiffany and Co and picking a feminine sounding name. And then as we, you know, as the years went by and we circled back to the idea, we wanted to come up with maybe a, a cooler name especially because we were going to be a lot more tech-enabled. And so then the new name we came up with was Base, with the idea of layers, foundational layers. And we wanted a name that was really easy to remember, you know, like Apple. And then Base wasn't really sitting well with us. We couldn't really see the legs there. And Double came to us as we thought about, like, the role of women and how there's this beautiful duality and womanhood of being soft and strong. There's so many that you can find as you dig in. And our product, which I won't give away yet, is meant to be like a double skin. And so there is a nice kind of natural way that came to be. And we thought to be cool and tech, we should cut off the E. And so it's just spelled D-O-U-L. I guess that has some perks when looking for a web domain. It probably has some challenges when people spell it because they might make the error I made when sending this invite. One had double spelt, and I guess we'll spell it for everyone. It's D-O-U-B-L. There's no E. If you add the E, you're doing it wrong. And it is, it's all capitals too, right? Is that sort of like the brand look? It's always in caps? Exactly, yeah. Got it. So maybe now is a perfect time to dive in because I know I'm holding back so many questions. I admittedly know very little about this space. I'm going to be super vulnerable, ask probably a lot of questions that might seem super obvious to some of our listeners, but super unobvious to others. But we're going to pass it over and do what we do best here on the Pitch Please podcast and ask one of you for your pitch, please. Yeah, happy to. 
So double is the very first made-to-measure bra bought completely online. So we are tech-enabled using a 3D image technology that is just through your iPhone. So all you need is your smartphone and it takes about one minute and you wear tight black clothing and basically it captures your measurements and then that gets spit out onto our back end where we take a subset of your body measurements to alter your bra to be the perfect fit. And then that gets cut and sewn and shipped from London, Ontario, where we manufacture locally. But our main ethos is that we are trying to bring the bra into the 21st century. So in the past, there's only been two measurements that have been taken, the bust and under bust. This sizing system has been developed over 100 years ago, and it has never been innovated on. And it only serves a subset of women who fall into these predetermined buckets. And I'm sure, you know, with your wife, you've seen her take her bra off at the end of the day, and every woman can relate to that. And it's bras aren't comfortable, but they do serve a functional societal purpose, and they need women need support when they're leaving their house. But we did really see during the pandemic that women didn't want to be wearing their bras any longer, and they were moving to bralettes or not wearing a bra or sports bras. But now we're we're coming back into the office. We're going back outside, and. We, Brennan and I just feel that women deserve the same innovation and same comfort that we've seen in other spaces and even that we've seen in men's underwear through like Saks and Aegis, for example. So yeah, it's this, we're making bras sizeless and we're serving women who fall in the extremities or fall into those unusual ratios of maybe they have larger busts and smaller underbusts or vice versa. Yeah, that's the... So many questions. I probably don't even know all the questions I'm going to need to ask. But I guess as part of that, now your roles at Double, maybe from the experiences we've talked about of each of you, maybe naturally talks about the roles you fit in as co-founders. But when we think about this, what are your sort of roles as co-founders? You're both co-founders, but do you lean to one area of the business versus the other in, in terms of your roles? When we first started the business for the first two years, we did everything together. And when I say everything, I mean literally everything. Like we would write emails together. We were like every decision we made together. And then as time went on and we needed to, you know, there was so much work to do, we we needed to separate it out. So Jess takes on more of the like operational side of the business. So she manages production, factory, works with the designers, and then also does social media. And then I manage more on this on the marketing side, so more in the CMO role. So doing our go-to-market strategy and some other like uh, fundraising stuff that we're doing now. So let's go back to the beginning of Double. How did this get started? There was it a pain point? Was it just brainstorming one day? What was the sort of pivotal moment when both of you decided as friends, you're like, this is a problem we'd like to go solve and innovate against? What was sort of the catalyst for that? Yeah. So we were looking at industries that hadn't had any innovation in them in many years. And also it was a personal pain point that we had experienced for ourselves. And we've talked to so many women over the past like many years and every single woman has something, whether it's gaping cups, whether it's straps falling off, whether it's your underwear wire cutting into you, it's honestly endless. And we were really intrigued by the point of confidence as well, because your physical comfort translates very much into the way that you 
hold yourself and portray yourself and the confidence that you bring to the table. So as the two of us are women in business, we really want to encourage women to lean in and speak up and be put into leadership positions. And we don't want physical discomfort to ever be the reason that a woman isn't moving forward. Yeah, like whether or not you've worn a bra before, you've probably experienced discomfort, whether that's underwear that's not fitting properly or shoes that are uncomfortable or wearing a suit on a hot day. And it it gets into everything. It gets into your mindset. It gets into the length of time you want to spend doing something. And so removing that physical discomfort test was really important. So I'm going to want to learn a bit more about that. But before we do, maybe help teach myself and our audience listening a little bit about this industry. You were talking about an area that hasn't been innovated in a long time. So what does the industry look like? There's obviously giants in this space, but maybe no giants in the custom approach that you're taking. So teach us a little bit about the industry and what sort of the standard things look like and where the gaps are today. Yeah, great question. So obviously the industry is like 50% of the population, so it is huge. The big players like Victoria's Secret, for example, we've seen a huge shift from this kind of like over-sexualization. Victoria's Secret also being started by a man having the iconic fashion show and it speaking into the way women perceive their bodies, et cetera. And then this big shift towards body positivity and size inclusivity, which has led to a lot of the emerging brands that we're now seeing. So there's some really great um, other players on the scene, such as Third Love and Cup. They're bringing size inclusivity to the table and they're using more comfortable materials, whatever it may be. And then there is a little bit of that custom, those custom people in the space. However, no one has ever done it like in a way that's scalable. So what's unique about us is that we use automated digital measurements to automatically alter the pattern. Whereas right now, people in the custom space are still having you come in for a fitting. You're being measured multiple times. And these bras are typically costing upwards of $450. Wow. So the solution you have, I don't want to talk pricing now, but is more akin to a regular bra pricing but delivered at scale, fully digital. Like you have no storefront today other than a digital storefront. Correct. Super cool. And so I think we've talked about it a little bit. And I, I love, Bryn, how you were giving some examples to make it super relatable to all users. But like whether it's discomfort, just not feeling comfortable in what you're wearing when you're going out and trying to be your best. Talk to me a little bit about this problem and how many people this problem affects. Is it 100% of people in some regard? I assume there's, hey, these are made generally like undergarments are made in a standard, hey, there's three different, four different, five, whatever different sizes. And if you're not exactly that, you're going to be on the fringes. So there's probably some people that things work for, but talk to me a little bit about that and how big this problem actually is and what, what are the sort of key elements of the problem that you're addressing? Yeah, so latest studies have shown about 70% of women are uncomfortable in their bras. And, you know, if you're out of the house, chances are you're wearing a bra. And if you're out of the house every day, chances are you're wearing a bra every day. So being uncomfortable, you know, every day that many people is a huge problem. It's most potently a problem for people who fall on, like you said, the fringes. So people who either have non-standard ratio. So they have a smaller rib cage, but larger volume, or they have smaller volume and a larger rib cage. Sometimes they can't even find their size at regular stores because that combination doesn't exist. And then for bras to offer support, right, because they are trying to work against gravity, they need to, the band itself needs to give you 80% of the support. 
and it can only be two centimeters off of your body. And the broadband go up in two inch increments. So it's often hard to find to actually get that snug fit that you need to give you the supports so that you're not uncomfortable. And then adding on to that, a lot of discomfort comes from underwires, which are non-standard sizes. So we get rid of underwires completely. And then molded cups, which are a foam layer that sits on top of your body. That's usually not comfortable or breathable. So we've also gotten rid of that. And then on top of that, it's also the convenience of finding your size. So even if there is a size out there that exists for you, it's hard to find that, whether you have to get measured by somebody in the store or buy something and then return it. So daily searches for bra size in Canada is about 300 to 3,000 searches per day. So you ta- touched on a few things there. I'm trying to follow. So if I miss something, just bring it back up because obviously, not, maybe not obviously, I don't wear a bra. So I don't know a ton about them. You talked about material differences in the materials you're using. You talked about some elements of innovation around how, I guess, it's cut to fit and some elements that you don't use. So like you don't use foam, you don't use underwires. So maybe talk to us a little bit about, we'll talk about the tech element in a bit and the delivery method, but just the product itself. How did you arrive at this? This sounds like it's a ton of work to figure out how to go innovate a category like, I, and that's why I want to spend more time on this because this isn't just like, yo, we sketched it up and it was done. Like you actually took a bunch of things that are standardized and changed how you were going to approach the problem. What did that look like? It was honestly such a challenge. I don't think we knew exactly what we were getting ourselves into when we started. And despite my background being in fashion and having been a part of product development before Bras are just, an ex- I like, we think they're the most challenging piece of clothing that you can make because each woman carries their volume differently. Each body is shaped differently. It's like this unlimited number of combinations. So when we first started, we had no idea how to manufacture bras. So we went on Upwork. We found a designer. We also didn't realize that there were such strong differentiations between developers and designers and pattern makers and, like, who we needed at what point in time in order to bring it to life and what kind of manufacturers would be interested in taking on custom work because typically you would be submitting bulk orders like a year in advance and it's just like the way that operates. So yeah, back in the beginning, we went through multiple iterations where we yeah hired somebody to make a bra, we got that back and it didn't fit at all. It was like a boob hammock and we started to quickly learn all of the different elements about sourcing the right fabrics that offer the right tension, which offer then the right support, and then ensuring that the design is supporting that in its architectural structure in a sense. And then when we were working on the algorithm, like what are the points that are most important to alter for the perfect fit, but also not taking too much into consideration because we don't want to overcomplicate things in a process that's already super complicated. So it's been basically three years of research and development and prototyping, and we're very close to the end now, but it was a very long journey. Yeah, so you're saying that like over the last two or three years, a lot of that journey was just actually prototyping through all the different iterations, what problem you want to solve, and we'll talk about the tech in a bit, But even just the material and the manufacturing, the output, even if you had everybody's custom dimensions, you need to figure out how to go do that at scale. 
So what are the variables you want to change? Because I'm sure you can't change 100% of every variable that exists. So you have to figure out the most important ones. And then the materials and the styling, the cut, I don't know, all those elements had to be like iterated on. And that process has taken some years. At any point in that three years, were you almost like, yo, we're out. This is way too hard. I think the benefit of having a co-founder is that when you feel like it's too hard and you don't want to go on any longer, the other person lifts you up. And I feel like that's been so true for us. Like whenever I'm stressed and I'm like, it's not going to work, Jess is like, no, 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 we've got this. It's going to be great. And then vice versa. We seem to be really lucky that we always are on like, we're either always on the upside or we're on opposite sides. We're never both low at the same point. So I think that's been really helpful. And I think it's also important just to think of it as one foot in front of the other, right? Not looking too far into the future. You just make little changes. You iterate as you go. I know you might, on your LinkedIn, when you're creeping you, we saw that you believe that you need to get to 70%, not 100%. So trying to have that mindset and not be perfectionist and know that we can iterate as we get feedback, but just getting bras on bodies for us is what the goal is right now. I think to add on to that, too, we still believe in this product and we still believe in the viability and the need for it that it's just we know it's possible. We know it's a necessity. It's just a matter of getting it executed. Also, on Bryn's point, I think, yeah, learning to put one foot in front of the other is just like this integral lesson that you need to learn as an entrepreneur. And we're both future planners. Bryn spoke to her 10 year plan when she was in university. And I think that's been something that we've had to really check ourselves and we work on the next critical step and we don't look too much ahead because it is overwhelming when you do that. The most, I think the number one reason entrepreneurs fail is because they give up. So as long as you're consistent and you're just doing baby step, like after baby step, then you'll figure it out eventually. Patience, optimism, a strong co-founder, all important ingredients in continuing to persist for something that's that hard and that long. And it sounds like you really believe in what you're trying to solve for. And I think that's a key point. If you're not passionate about it, to your point, Jess, I think a lot of startups fail because they just give up. It got hard and they gave up. And so the more you believe in what you're doing, and if there's more than one of you, you can both push through those tough times. So maybe talk to us a little bit about where you're at in this journey. So you said a couple of years of development. Do you have a working prototype? Are you available for sale? And then after that, I, I want to talk about the how this works, but I want to see where you guys are at in this cycle since it sounds like it was a heck of a journey. Yeah. So we did a soft launch back in March just for a limited run of 25 bras just because we wanted to ensure from a manufacturing and logistics standpoint that we were able to get the bras out, start getting some reviews, ensuring that it really was working for multiple body types. We are working on delivering those still, which we are a little bit late on. However, we do have final approved prototypes, which is really great. And we're just finalizing our beta testing to ensure that we're really happy with the quality of those 25 bras that go out. And then we are looking to hard launch shortly after that. That's amazing. And so are those friends, family, are they people that signed up through some different uh, means? Like, did you create your, this is effectively going to be your like feedback loop, right? For your first iteration, or you've maybe had some feedback loops along the way? Yeah, we did. The soft launch was completely organic. So it was mostly in our networks. Well, everybody was in our network and the combination of friends, family, coworkers, people whose paths we've crossed. And we are 
so grateful for every single one. Like I know as a consumer, when you shop from a small business and the business owner says, thank you, it's so important. As a small business owner, like each of those customers, you're so excited about. And I remember when Jess and I did that soft launch, our expectations, I think, were naively high. And we hit the launch button. We were like waiting and waiting and waiting. And then when that first sale came in, it was just like the best feeling in the world. And it was one of my good friends, Taylor, who bought the bra. And then it was just like every time a new, you know, you get that email that somebody else has ordered and it's, you just feel the love a lot, which is great. That's actually a really important point. There was a founder that I was talking to a few weeks back. And when I asked him what one of his most memorable moments was in his journey of his startup. And he said it was the first check and the first check was like $60. And he said he he went out with the team. They spent like $400 on drinks to celebrate the $60 check. But he said the most important reason for that was that it was validation that the thing that they'd been working on for so long, so hard, that people actually wanted it and wanted to pay for it and saw value as well. And so it's really cool. So those 25, that was my next question. Those 25 people paid for this, be part of this alpha or beta test in this first launch, which is super cool. Now, how, how did they get measured? So, you know, we talked about the fact that you don't have a brick and mortar store and you don't have them come to you and you do a whole bunch of measurements. So what does that piece look like? I think this talks to like the core of this tech enabled aspect, but is that something you, you enabled for these 25 people? And what did, what does that look like? Yeah, it's a really simple process. So basically you would go onto the website or via social channel you would make your purchase and then you'd be sent an email with a link to an app or kind of a scannable QR code, which then has you download an app. It's through technology that we license. And then it walks you through this very simple process. You just need to have a blank wall behind you and you put on some tight fitting black clothing. You prop up your phone on a chair. It takes about a minute. You hold your body in a certain position and then you turn to the side. It's completely private. That is something that we get asked a lot. You, We have no photos that are stored, nothing. It's just an extraction of measurements. And then that gets automatically sent to our internal software system where we have our pattern. And then through a like made-to-measure software, it automatically alters based on an algorithm that we created that gets spit out and then sewn and shipped. So it's a completely automated process super easy. You can do it from the comfort of your home, especially, you know, if you're a busy person, you're not wanting to go out to a store. And also women typically hate bra shopping. <laughs> we hear that all the time. It's like their least favorite item to shop for. So, you know, we've made it easy. We've made it comfortable. And it takes, yeah, probably five minutes from start to finish fully. Wow. And so just with the camera scan, it gets every measurement and the exactness it needs. There's no other, I don't need a measuring tape or any of that. I just scan it with a phone, any phone, or I assume phones with like at least a good enough camera, I guess. Yeah, it can be Android or iPhone. Um, and there's no really limitations on, I mean, it can't be the first iPhone. If anything, the battery life definitely means you're not using a first iPhone. Yeah, anymore, definitely no so. Blackberries. Okay. Yeah. Okay, we're past that point too. I don't think anyone uses BBM anymore anyway. And so maybe a silly question. Do you wear a, a bra while you take this picture? It's like, hey, find your most ideal fitting bra and then do this photo or do you do it in black fitted clothing with no bra? Because I'm trying to figure out, I guess, how the camera identifies where you want support. 
yeah yeah so i would i think the first clarification point is we get all of the raw measurements and then we decide how that translates into a pattern so the app that we use isn't smart enough to go exactly from body to pattern that's the algorithm engine that we've built but in terms of what to wear definitely if you have a larger chest we recommend wearing a bra that has underwire that's unlined ideally just so that we can make sure that you know, we can get an accurate underbust measurement that everything's lifted in the right spot so we can have a like true estimate. And those are some of the things that we're working on, right? Like any machine learning you need is, you know, you need input to get the best output. We'll iterate that as we go, but that's what we recommend right now. Got it. So it actually, you put in your general bra measurements and then you include the scan. Oh, so you just do the scan and then your algorithm figures out the yeah, rest like, from we there. don't care about bra sizes at all like they can go out the window we don't care for them they can disappear we just want to know your measurements the bronze fitted to you we say in our email to those people who've ordered that measuring yourself can be uncomfortable right not everybody likes that process but the beauty of our product is that there is no boxes that we're putting you in right there's none of that stigma between a, a size small versus a size large or a, a six versus a two and so it's just you, like you are the muse, you are what we build around. And so I think there's also a lot of empowerment in that, that we're taking you as you are, and then we're making something just for you. That's cool. So obviously you soft launched, where will this be available? Because it sounds like it's highly scalable and digital, but will you have limitations on where it's going to be available when you launch? And I'm not going to put you on the spot exact for a date, but maybe a three to six month window when you kind of expect that you know, this will be available to, to more people. Yeah, we're hoping it will be available in the next few months, probably the fall at the latest, and it will be available to anyone in Canada and then shortly thereafter also open to the U.S. And it's online, so just through our website. Cool. And you're, we'll reference it again later as well, but your website is... Double.ca. With no With no E. e. <laughs> Interesting. So... As you've gone through this, I know we've talked about some pieces of this. What would you say has been maybe the the hardest part of the journey together in this? And it could be the product. It could be the innovation. It could be just like navigating it alongside busy careers because obviously like you, you don't even have like you've just started to launch the product, right? So Unless you had three years where you're kind of just working on just this, I assume you're probably doing some other things as well, and that can be busy. But what's been like the hardest part for you both? And it could be something different for each of you. I think the product and manufacturing has been a really large struggle for us. And, you know, it gets to the point where it's frustrating because you just want to be able to launch the product. You want to start getting that iterative feedback. You want market validation too. Like it gets scary sometimes when you're going, you're iterating, you're iterating, nothing, it's just not working because then, yeah, you have those questions of, is this possible? Are we chasing after a business idea that isn't even viable? So I think that has been the biggest struggle for sure. And until recently, we've come to the point where we have approval, which is really exciting. But yeah, that it's been basically three years of chasing after that approved final product. Yeah, and that, that would have been my exact answer too that, that Jess gave. I'd say a secondary one is what you mentioned, Mike, where we have been building this on the side of our full-time jobs and that comes with its own challenges. 
we, you know, took advantage of the downtime that we had during all of the lockdowns to do that. So that was serendipitous timing. And then I also had the great opportunity through my employer at Unilever to take some time off to join the Western Accelerator through Western University. So I had four months of working full time and, you know, they call it an accelerator for a reason, like having that time to really think things through and yeah, work on accelerating the business that the full-time hours is so important. That's amazing. That's amazing that they even give that type of an opportunity because I think it's like you can bring that passion back to your workplace as well. And the skills you probably learned in that four months are probably massively beneficial to what you're doing now at Unilever. Was the, and notice neither of you mentioned this part, but was figuring out how you were going to produce this like I, I we talked about the design but the actual production you said it's produced in canada is, was that hard to figure out or maybe just with your background that was like the easiest part but made in canada the materials here the stitching the distribution is that like something that was like hard to figure out yeah i think this comes back to putting one foot in front of the other so initially we did have an individual sewer an individual pattern maker and we very much did it like ad hoc through a bit of like a WeWork space. And then Bryn found a manufacturer in London, Ontario during the accelerator program, which was very well suited to us. And they were, they're female founded and they were really excited about our idea, which was great because we had spoken to a few different manufacturers and not everyone is interested in A, working with a startup, B, working with Made to Measure, and C, going through a bit of this iterative prototyping, especially we typically need a very advanced seamstress on the project because it is very complicated and quality control is extremely important to us. So we do need a lot of eyes on the product and it takes a little bit longer than your average clothing item. Our original idea was to do like a decentralized network of home sewers, follow an Uber model and have people put their hands up that they have a sewing machine at home and they would get orders in and they'd sew them and ship them. But we realized quite quickly that quality control would be a massive issue. So we still have heart for an idea of that kind, but we turn that into kind of the localism aspect instead. Got it. And so they, at the end of the day, then are they all hand stitched locally from one source or there's like part production from machine and some hand stitching? Like how does that? Yeah. So they automate or um, they're as efficient as possible in the areas that they can be. So there's lots of pre-programming that you can do on sewing machines for certain areas if there's consistency in the type of stitch or the item, the two pattern pieces coming together, things like that. But there is a lot of manual labor involved. I think the biggest machine element is the cutting. So instead of hand cut, got it. it's machine cut. Got it. So the machine cutting helps speed a lot of that up. You know, we talked about challenging parts uh, and being that journey and keeping one foot in front of the other. What's been like the most memorable or exciting part that that you've sort of learned on this three-year journey? Oh, that's a hard question. I think it's been really interesting with both of us having business backgrounds and having a good amount of corporate experience. There's so much that you don't know and you don't realize you don't know it until you're doing it. Like, for example, we do all aspects of the business, which includes HR and accounting and keeping up with our financial statements and investor pitch decks and the manufacturing and the hiring. And we realize how specific and, you know, a little bit pigeonholed your own career becomes until you start broadening 
and you think you know how all of these systems work and you really have no idea until you're doing them. So that's been an interesting learning piece, I would say. It's funny that you say that one of the one of the founders, co-founders of Good Lawyer I had on a while back, and he said the most important skill in a startup is the skill to be a great generalist. Because if you don't have the willingness to just go figure things out, you're done. Like you just don't have the advantage or luxury of having a specialist for every single function. And I think many people that are in organizations, the second you're in an organization over 500 or 1,000 people, like you get specialized pretty quick, even if you don't think you're specialized. And so you get very, it's a quick slippery slope of, oh, that's not something I know. That's someone else's area. And then working in, working for, or being a part of a startup teaches you to just roll up your sleeves. And it's like the most important skill. And it, it probably is helping both of you more than you maybe already do know in your roles now where you're like, I, I could figure that out. I'll take that on. You know, and it's exciting, right? Like what has been so amazing about the business is that when you work, when you're working towards an idea that you're passionate about, everything's fun. Like obviously the, there's highs and lows, but it always feels like a treat to be working on the business or especially having it currently being mornings and evenings and weekends. It feels like there's an excitement around it where it's how amazing is, is it that I get to work on this incredible project that could change the world one day. Yeah, I was going to say basically what you said, Mike, where it's basically like that you have to solve your all your problems your, yourself. And also sometimes you create your own problems, right? So Jess and I were having a photo shoot in March and we had done this the sample sewing through, through the facility that Jess had mentioned. And Jess was flying to Toronto for the photo shoot. And we somehow, neither of us thought for Jess to bring the bras and instead we had them shipped to Toronto and they were supposed to arrive Thursday end of day and the photo shoot started Friday morning. And lo and behold, they did not get delivered Thursday end of day. So we called Canada Post. They were super lovely and helpful, but we were so stressed and it was such an avoidable problem. So we had to call the warehouse at five in the morning to try to make sure that it got on the like first mail truck out. And I live in downtown Toronto, so we were hoping that they would deliver it to the core first. And so I went to the photo shoot, started setting up all the models and the photographer. And Jess was waiting just in the lobby for the male person to arrive. And you can finish the story, Jess, because you were there. Yeah, it was really lucky. It was like the photo shoot, we had it starting at nine, but like half an hour for setup. And it was like 9.15. And I saw a male woman come into the building and I'm like following her down the hallway. <laughs> I'm like, I'm looking, sorry, like I'm looking for this really important package. Do you happen to have it? It's like a small bubble mailer. And then she's like going through all of her bags and she has it. And then we're like jumping up and down and jeering and then <laughs> book it to the photo shoot. But yeah, it was really stressful. We almost had a photo shoot with no product. Yeah, like it's good that you can laugh about this now. But at that moment, you were losing it. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it felt so ridiculous because I was literally going on a plane from Vancouver to Toronto so I could have been like holding the bras the entire time. I mean, good lesson to learn early. Now you probably just travel with the bras. Yes. <laughs> or ship earlier. Yeah, either or. As we get to the tail end here, you both kind of described a bunch of amazing learning moments in your journey to build a company from the ground up and innovate in an area that's seriously been under innovated in for a very long time. Is there any advice that you'd share for other people, whether they're going to go start this alone or with another co-founder 
or that are working somewhere. And I think sometimes it's the courage, like, is my employer going to be worried about this? But, you know, I, I, the thing you talked about as well was sometimes it's about this thing that some people have a passion for photography. Some people have a passion for painting and art. At the end of the day, this is your passion that you spend time and energy on outside of work that brings you energy. But is there advice that you would share with people listening that are in a similar position or a different position, but thinking of starting a business? Yeah, I think that element of passion is extremely important. Like, obviously, it is a business and you do hope to be financially successful. However, I think if the reason you're getting into business is for financial success, then you're already setting yourself up for failure because there are so many hard points and there is a lot of, yeah, like scrappiness involved. And I think if you're not doing it because you're passionate about the idea and you love working on it and you're okay with it maybe taking some time, then it likely won't be successful. So I do think it's really important that you think of an idea that you're really passionate about and something that you're willing to put the time and effort behind. Yeah. And I likewise, I think there will never be a good time, right? So it's just better to start sooner rather than later. And I think it's also easy to look to other people and try to model yourself after them or their journey and there is no one-size-fits-all approach so it's best just to do what works for you and put that foot in front of the other that's i don't know if you saw the irony in that statement but that's almost too perfect for double and how we close this off that there is not just one size that fits all bryn jess thanks a lot for joining today if people want to find out more what are the steps people can take? Like, are you hiring? Do you just want people to sign up? Hey, go check out your website. We're going to be shipping soon. Like, what's sort of where you would tell people to go to find out more? Yeah. So, yeah. They, yeah go ahead. The excitement's jumping <laughs> out, of the, out of the call. I can hear it. So people can sign up on our website. So www.double.ca with no E to be alerted to when we do a full launch and also to hear more about what's going on behind the scenes and follow along with our journey. And then we also have Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, lots of great stuff there around bras, how to find your fit, relatable things. And so, yeah, you can follow us along that way. And then also if you are somebody who's listening, who doesn't wear a bra, you know, sending this information to somebody who does and would benefit from it. And if you are someone that wears a bra and you have pain points and you want to share those, you can always send us an email at hello at double.ca and we'd love to hear from you. And just quick point for TikTok at our Instagram is at my double. We'll link all those in the show notes anyway. So my double for Instagram and TikTok, double.ca for web and all the other properties, just double with no e. easy enough, I think. And Jess, thank you so much for joining today. I Now that we're at the end of this, you've completed your first podcast together. Hopefully you had a lot of fun for everyone that listened along. That was their first podcast. They, I think they had an amazing time. They had all the answers ready to go. We had a great conversation. But Jess, Bryn, thank you again for joining today. Everybody else who, who listened along, thank you again for listening in to the Pitch Please podcast. And we will catch you on the next episode. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. You've been listening to the Pitch Please Podcast. Pitch Please. Pitch Please. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Tune in for regular episodes and show notes at pitchplease.ca. And make sure to give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform.
Pitch Please, a BloomX podcast, is hosted by Michael Thibodeau and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Pitch Please content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bloomx.io to join us on Discord.